let's get a, a little bit more clinical if, if that's the business side. Clinically speaking, give me something that you've changed your mind on in the last five years. I don't know if I've changed my mind. Um, I went back. So there's a few things that I think are reservoirs of capacity and performance that are untapped because it's, we haven't known. Breath is one of those. So if you followed our work for a long time, you can see that I've become very interested in the amount of volume you can move in and your ability to maintain that volume. And it turns out great cook said for a long time, if you can't breathe in a position, you don't own that position. But we expanded that to say, can you not only can you ventilate, but can you maximally ventilate in those positions? So we end up using breath as a way of understanding positional competence, ventilation, VO2 max. We saw a lot of opportunity there. And then also ways into the nervous system to de-threaten, to desensitize, to help people downregulate, that we could take all the classic PNF contract relax, add in some breathing, add in some, you know, loaded isometrics, which are what if you're doing like um a static hold on a roller because you find like a trigger point or an area of sensitivity or whatever it is you want. And I just have you flex in there. That's an isometric contraction. That's all you're doing. You're just putting a different load instead of lengthwise, you're putting a vector load into the tissue, asking that tissue to contract around that single spot, integrate the breathing. And suddenly we can get a lot of stacking done where we can get people feeling better right away. Does that resolve yeah. their movement dysfunction sometimes? But sometimes it just makes them feel better and athletes that feel better tend to do better. Yeah, so absolutely. I, breathing is a big one. So, okay. So breathing you've added, um, as an example, I came out of graduate school a million years ago and I'm teaching people, okay, let's squat in front of the mirror make sure your knees look straight ahead. Don't let them go past your toe. Obviously that's gone to the wayside, right? First it went to the wayside with Kelly Starrett and driving his knees out and creating torque off the ground. Now knees over toes has changed I'd say as a profession, our outlook on that thing, is there anything like that that sticks out to you where you used to teach yeah. something? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I didn't do a good job of was explaining that we were never coaching these out. We were coaching these out to maintain an arch. And extra rotation is an isometric contraction, and it's how the whole body creates stability. So if you want to have a stable pelvis on femur, that's done through an external rotation ro movement. That's why you do monster walks and why you try to get people's clamshells better is that you're trying to teach the tissues to be able to create a force that makes the pelvis more stable on the femur. You know, and so one of the things that was happening is we were seeing people turning their feet out and collapsing their arches. And just, I was like, what is that? You can't jump maximum in that position. And actually you're contributing to the problem and epidemic of ACL injuries and lower extremity injuries. And we're seeing more and more the research coming out. They're like, wow, that foot turned out, arch collapsed. That Achilles has a lot of translation and a lot of sort of lateral vectorization. Plus the loads on the posterior horn of the meniscus. Plus, I mean, just, you know, keep checking the boxes. This is less effective. Again, yeah. I think one of the things that we've gotten better at it, and I inherited this language from Mulligan, movement fault. And if you see the book, it says movement fault. It's not a movement fault. It's, it's, it's a strategy or a compensation. Like you're, you're using that. And I don't think that there are bad positions, comma, that position sucks. That position is less effective. That position has less transferability. That position challenges tissues in a way that, you know, eventually is not going to be as effective. So I can say unequivocally that position is dog shit, but it may be the only position you can get in. So let's ride this horse today, comma. There's probably a better position. So we're always teaching to the highest expression of the movement. And one of the things that we saw was when I started 
you know, I was working with this young, I don't know, like five or six years ago, working with maybe longer, working with this young, like shit hot paddle sports team. And I was teaching them to respect their squatting based on their foot position and their foot balance. And I was also coaching my daughter's teams at the same time. And all of the traditional coaching cues around squatting, I found weren't as effective for children because they weren't good at being cues and taking those cues. They were really good at feeling. So what we started doing, for example, is saying, hey, look, I need you to keep you know, 50% of your weight on your front of your foot and 50% of your, your heel and keep your ankle right in the middle of your foot. And every kid could look down, make those corrections, feel the changes, and then they all squatted. And I was like, whoa, 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 that's perfect squatting. And I didn't actually cue squatting. I just said, keep that balance down. And based on your anthropometry or the load or your position, you will have to have higher degrees of tension. So if you're going to squat with a really upright torso, your knee is going to look a lot more out than if you're squatting with a forward lean because there's more demand to keep the, the pelvis connected to the femur. And so, you know, if you're, what you're seeing is like in, when Ben Patrick squatting, there's very low torso demand. So, and that foot can be very straight, but it's still roughly the same organization. Knee is tracking little toe or towards the outside to maintain the integrity of the foot. So we threw out like all of the knee stuff, because I was like, that's like me coaching your bench press based on your elbow. This doesn't make any sense. More elbow in, more elbow out. Like, why aren't you teaching a feeling? How can we get people to tap into their interoception so that they can connect the skills more effectively so that when I'm teaching squatting, I'm really teaching a step up or a jump and land or an Olympic lift or receiving position or, or so that that foot position transferred beautifully to so many other things. So that's something we evolved on. And okay. I'll say we can continue to evolve because we're still practicing. I'm still working with the Niners and the All Blacks and the English national soccer team, and the Brazilian women's national soccer team. And I have two college teams over at Cal and I have a team at San Jose state. And I still am where the rubber hits the road, trying to reevaluate, re reassess what is essential and how do I solve this problem in a more elegant way? So I'm still a user very much. I love that. Yeah. And so you still have your hands obviously in the clinical side, which, which certainly resonates with everything you say. I think you make a great point with trying to teach these complex movements. If you start getting too microscopic or myopic, it's impossible to stack those things. Right. And so I think that's your example of like, just squat, like keep your, keep your weight even and squat and the body's going to find a way to do it. I see that a ton with all my baseball stuff. When you're teaching back to throwing, return to throw, it's less about keep your elbow here, keep your wrist here, keep your fingertips here. It's like, here's a couple drills. This is going to cue you to do it appropriately. Okay. Get on the hump and throw. Right. And, and you're down. absolutely right. Now we're, mo we're mo monitoring speed and volume, right? How, how yep. fast am I throwing? How heavy is the thing I'm throwing? How much volume am I throwing? Yeah. And what we can start to do there is, you know, I, I don't know anything about baseball. I've just worked with like seven teams yes. and yeah. some Cy Young award winners, but I don't get into the mechanics. I understand what the essential shapes are. One of our friends calls it kenotypes. Like if you kind of that classic stop motion, you could see essential pictures. That's mm -hmm. Stuart Millen's language. We talk about archetypes. What is it the body should be able to do? Well, if you don't have hip extension, an interrotation of the hip in extension, I can't even tell what's going on. And so, yeah. you know, 
oftentimes what we see, yesterday I was working with some swimmers, some Olympic swimmers from San Jose State, and one of the things we found was a lot of those athletes really were lacking capacity in the anterior line. So they had a hard time creating global extension. And when I put them under a little bit of extension, load, butt turned off, couldn't squeeze their butts, right? Which meant that they ended up hinging in the thoracic spine to solve that movement problem. And then that shoulder lost its rotational capacity. And that's a problem if you're a swimmer, right? That's why that streamlined position, being able to kick. So if you don't under have a root language, you can chase, I think your distal pectineus is stiff and let me activate, like you can play that game, but if you can't see the components for the whole and you don't have a movement language, it turns out that strength and conditioning is a really elegant way to understand what you're seeing in complex movements. Because that's what we knew is that if I can get you into these shapes, it transfers better now we can start to say, well, what are, what's fundamental or how much of these essential shapes should I have as a benchmark or a vital sign? Now we suddenly have movement vital signs that everyone can understand. That is how we dig ourselves out of this. I love, yeah, I love that. And, and I think the truly skilled clinician takes that complex language and dumbs it down to the athlete so that not that they can't understand it, but when you're moving 150 miles an hour, they shouldn't have to try to understand oh, it. Oh yeah, should you be can't. Able to just be able to groove it. Right, you can't. So I think, I think that's a skill in a great sports PT. So you, you mentioned some of like um, measuring velocity and total, total volume, total load. If I, you know, we've come a long way as a profession since the pain cave. So how much tech <laughs> do you now use? How different is a PT practice if you were to form it today than you, than it looked back in the pain cave? The difference now is I have some rollers that vibrate because I have people who are super sensitive to compression for, uh-huh. for recovery, like kids. Okay. okay. Um, I think that that's super great. People are very sensitive or children. We can just get some, get some input. Um, I believe wholeheartedly in the sanctity and the power of blood flow restriction cuffs. If cool. you don't have an integrated BFR, and, and it is a, I think it was New York that took away BFR from their physios and said, this is not in your scope of care. And, well, and by, what and it makes me think is, well, you're not a physio. You're, you're like, I'm no longer, I identify as a physio if that's what happened. Right? <laughs> and, uh, and by the way, they do the same thing with dry needling, which is crazy. Me. Well, I can understand that more because there is a dry needling society called acupuncture and right. Okay. There are people doing that. Don't get me wrong. I okay. think we should be able to do that, but yeah. there's no BFR society. Do you know what I mean? There's so it's, it's, it's crazier. We'll leave it okay, at that. Fair. Fair. Crazier. Cause these are all just tools. And I think the danger of course, for any person is that you become so adopted to your tools instead of saying, well, what are the other tools? It's cool. I have matches, but I have a lighter. Show me how that lighter works. I'll use the lighter instead of the matches. It's more, you know, reproducible. I, you know, um, we believe very strongly in NMES, um, neuromuscular electric stem, predominantly for post-surgery and post-trauma because mm-hmm. we cannot get enough. Dec- so I've become even more obsessed around tissue health where if you show up and like literally there are plenty of PTs who busted my balls for caring about swollen, you know, like, Oh, the joints, well, we don't need to worry about that. I'm like, yeah, you do. You need to worry about the swelling and it's not an emergency, but if that tissue is swollen, it doesn't heal. If that tissue is swollen. We see neuromuscular inhibition. If that tissue is swollen, we see altered joint mechanics. Um, 
We see the and whole thing versa, is off. Right? What's and that? vice versa, right? Vice versa, right? Like yes. if you have inhibition, then you're going to see swelling. And so like that's an awesome use for NMES, right? The, and the question is, who owns that? And I think the real interesting part is when you see physios say things like, percussion is dumb, uh, percussion. I'm like, well, are you using percussion on your patients? Or are you teaching them to do percussion on themselves? Because anytime I can say, here are some tools that are super sticky, make you feel better. You can do it on your couch. You have non-threatening input to the body. I don't ever want to use percussion on you in my clinic. I got other things I want to do with you. Let's move that stuff elsewhere. So I love that. The, the, that, that sounds like a speech that I gave, give my uh, new evaluations, which is I'm going to teach you three, four, maybe five exercises. I'm going to take a video of them. I'm going to put them in our exercise app. You're going to have them on your phone at home. You're going to do them at home. Do not come back in here and make me watch you do those. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that wastes your time. That wastes my time. Don't do it. Do it on your own. Take a lacrosse ball and do, you know, do whatever you need to do at home. Take care of your own business. I think that's what I heard you say. That is really the key here is the shift of I'm trying to figure out how you never see me again. Yeah. And in so doing, asking, well, how much of this and what should I be doing? Like this notion that like, you know, manual, we went through that phase a couple years ago, like manual therapy is the devil. It doesn't do anything. I'm like, well, are you only talking about pain? And pavums, am I, am I mobilizing your T-spine to get you out of pain? That seems like a strange use. I don't do that, right? Mm-hmm. But I do see that, you know, I have this young Olympic lifter whose T-spine was super stiff and was affecting her shoulders and her shoulder functioning. And lo and behold, every time she got a, and she's a national champion lifter, every time she got over her head, she would get this electric zingy feeling that was easily remedied with what? Thoracic mobilization. That I did. And then I was like, here's a peanut. Go home. Make sure you handle this yourself. If I ever see you again and your T-spine's this stiff, I will flog you. You know, And I think that's really the key here is thinking where are these interventions going to work for people? What tools do we have? So if you're only getting 20 minutes of decongestion in my clinic twice a week, that doesn't seem like a really good use of our time therapeutically. But if I can get you decongesting with NMES – 20 hours a day, you show up and you have less pain and the tissues are more ready for it to be loaded and you have all this non-threatening input into your body and neuromuscular you know, education is taken care of because I had to do your quad sets with the floor. Suddenly I'm like, wow, we can really get to the, to the bottom line here. Yeah. And get to the next step. Like, don't come in and just spin your wheels. I, like I say to my 14 year old, I don't want to have to have this conversation again. Right? So <laughs> why should we have a session well, again? And what you really are hitting on is uh, what physician said it. If you want great outcomes, choose great patients. It was like some surgeon, right? It was just like, yeah. hey, you want to have really good surgical outcomes. Just make sure that people are appropriate. And something you said early on was really helping people learn what is required and what is happening in a session. So this is what we're going to do today. And this is why. And here's what's going to be on your job to-do list. And here's how you, I can support you, right? And that conversation is more important than the other thing. I mean, Juliet, you know, breaks my balls all the time. She's like, you're probably just an average physical therapist, but you're really good at giving people permission to move again and to own their own therapeutic experience. You know, where I'm saying, hey, it's okay. Like, you've got this. This is on you and you're not fragile and you're not, you know, we have a lot of complex conversations about potential mechanisms of pain. But ultimately, I'm like, can I see your sleep data? 
did you eat a gram of protein per pound body weight? Do you have micronutrients? Do you sleep? Are you stressed? Like we have to have all of those conversations along with, dude, your knee is super swollen. What is your plan to deal with that? Cause it can't be coming in here once a week. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it sounds like that's one of the things by the way, that I think you should put on your list. What is it? Morning smoothie, morning smoothie. That's my guess. That is our espresso machine. Juliet, Ooh. uh, is passive aggressive when I'm on podcasts and uh, she slams the door. She puts the dishes away. She makes coffee and just everyone know this is, we're a real family. What kind of beans you got over there? We run stump town. Of Holler course Mountain. you do. Holler mountain stump town. I have been, look, I'm sure everyone else has their favorite coffee. Stump town um, ain't bad. We have been, I am on a search when I was, a younger man, I worked and poured espresso as I was trying to race on the national team. That was my day job so that I could race in the evening and in the morning. And um, I became obsessed with all things coffee. And check this out, self-soothing. Turns out the caffeine is, is, a, is a xanthine, which is very close to theoph right, theophylline, which is one of the medications for asthma. When I found out is that when I drank a lot of coffee, it was a bronchial, di bronchial dilator. I felt better. So I became obsessed with coffee. And then I had kids and a job. And then I was like, oh, coffee is, is life. So I've been on the search for the perfect bean. This is my closest one for the things I like, caramel, chewy. Mm. But uh, t people, tell us you know, in your comments, like, what is your go-to coffee? What's your go-to? Okay, mine is Ad Astra PTs, ironically, PTs blend. It is so good. All the right parts of smoky and oily. Oh, wow. It's called oh, Astra. So good. Ad Astra. Ad, it's called Ad Astra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. And get the PT's blend. The guy who taught me about Stumptown is a guy named James Hurst, who's an offensive lineman for the Saints. No one knows coffee more than that guy. Go follow him because he'll, he'll tell you beans that you've never even heard of. It's but, a small world. My daughter went out the door this morning wearing the Starrett Saint jerseys. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that's okay. awesome. All right, I, dude, I, I'm in. I think, uh, I think that's great. You know, um, you know, I think one of the things that is really fun is if you're in this profession, you're a nerd, straight up, an obsessive nerd. nerd, and you think about this, there's no edge. Like, I'm never not a physical therapist. Like, Juliet will be like, you ruined me. I can't watch people walk or run. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's not that we're judgy. It's just that I'm like, wow, we haven't taught people how to do anything, you know? And it's not like you, I'm worried that you're going to keep a perfectly neutral braced spine. Like that's whatever. Have you ever worked with an athlete? Have you ever done a sport yourself? I mean, you know, your, your spine's going to flex. We, we were really into like spinal flexion very early besides just mm -hmm. the, you know, Jefferson curl. So all our friends train. We love to exercise. We love to talk about performance. We love the soft tissue care where there's no edge. And in that nerdiness, people will find you the best coffee because it's the same thing. And the yeah. way you do, the way you obsess about one thing is sort of the way you obsess about everything. And then that you're, you've crowdsourced this problem out to the greatest set of nerds on the planet. There you go. I love it. Um, Kelly, this was awesome. I'm so thankful for your time. More importantly, I'm thankful that you kept me in the profession because you better believe I would be a uh, lawyer today if it wasn't for Dr. Kelly Sturette. So thank you. Well, let's, for that. let's pass. Thank you. That's really, uh, I'm sure that's not true, but let's, and I'm not trying to be, let's just pass it on to everyone who inspired me because really I think it's easy to point negative and to talk about what you don't like. 
um, I want more transparency in the profession. I would like to see what your sessions look like. Your, your patients will be like, Heck yeah, you can videotape me and put me on. I see people shouting at each other, beating each other with research, and yet I still don't know what their practice looks like. I don't even know if they have a practice. Yeah. I don't know if they actually work with people, and they certainly don't work with the people I work with. So show me, improve my practice. Help me understand better because I have, you know, I read Greg Cook's book or uh, Stuart McGill's book about back pain, kept it in my bathroom and read it cover to cover a hundred times while I was in physio school, you know, which meant I really started to think nervous system first, whether I liked it or not. I was highly influenced. So we're all part of this cabal. And um, what I'll say is, and hear this, everyone, we're getting an F. We're not, we're in our vertical of super fancy people, we are doing a good job of people taking care of themselves, but we've left everyone else behind. And if really the high, if E.O. Wilson says the highest calling of science is to improve the humanities, the highest calling of sports and sports performance and sports rehab is to transform communities. And if there's a kid who shows up with Ajgud Slaughters, it's because Volume wasn't managed, tissues weren't managed, nutrition wasn't managed, sleep wasn't managed. That seems like a preventable disease to me. And then, you know, we can have all the apologists out there who say, oh, it just happens sometimes. And yes, freak accidents happen. You do land funny and, and twist and tear your ACL. But there are a whole lot of things that we need to get better at and teaching. And uh, I challenge us to see if we can actually move the ball in the next 10 years. It's going to maybe take a 20-year project, but let's see if we can change something in another 10 years. I love it. I, I think you're, you're such, a, such an example of that. So thank you for your time. Thank you for your honesty. I look forward to continuing the conversation. I bet Anytime. you we'll do this again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Bring, bring, all, bring all the people in and the nerds in. Um, really, I don't, the other thing I think that we need to sit is, are we physical therapists? Uh, you know, what is a physical therapist? I, I have a hard time understanding what that is. I think adding the word sport helps to differentiate what it is, the way we think about this return to play. Um, I'm not, again, I'm not sure what we're doing is physical therapy anymore. You know what I mean? I think we're, I think what we're doing. I'm not saying I've transcended it. I'm just saying, I'm not sure I identify with my original education. That's what I'm saying. I think it'd be crazy if you did, because the yeah. stuff that you've added since you've come out, it has made this thing a different profession. The sports physical therapist is an outstanding strength coach, is an outstanding yeah. PT on the physiology side, is an outstanding psychologist, right? It, oh. It's all of those things. Yeah, it's really true. Uh, really, that part of it, you're, boy, that, I probably don't lean enough. I just put body keeps the score on to listen to it again on my right. my phone. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, the brain continues to be the limiting factor here for so much of this, you know, um, man, I, I really appreciate this conversation and thanks for keeping me in it. Cause there's definitely some times where I was like, maybe I'll just let my license lapse. doesn't matter. No, no one cares. No, you know, I'm not that's, even a PT a, anymore. That's the least I could do for you. Thanks for all you've done for the profession. We'll keep rolling and thanks for your time, Kelly.